This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Bang! Because the thing is, even if you have some insurance, you could always use a little more. Am I right or am I right? Right, right, right. Ow! <laughs> Thank you. My dad will love that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, once again to Blockbuster Mentality. I'm your host, Ben. Got another fun show for you, folks. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. You rate and review us. It helps us a lot. Uh, Today, my guest of honor is Stephen Tobolowski. You may know him from Spaceballs. Sammy Jenkins from Memento, Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day, been in various TV shows. He is a smart guy. Uh, he has a lot of movie knowledge. Uh, this was one of the easiest episodes I did because I I sat back and listened. He's he he talks, and it's that that's not a negative. I absolutely just loved listening to him. If you haven't checked his podcast, The Tobolowski Files, you need to do so. It is a treat. Uh, you're basically listening to an audio book, but the stories are real. You're listening to him talk about uh, different moments in his life, and it's very philosophical and talks about Hollywood and all that. It is a great listen. If you're not listening, you are missing out. But we talk Mr. Smith Goes to Washington today, starring James Stewart, the Frank Capra film. And we compare it to... 2020s Netflix film, uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, uh, which it has a lot of uh, parallels and uh, you can make a lot of comparisons with it, which uh, Stephen does because uh, he is a lot smarter than me. Um, but it was uh, a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, here's my conversation with Stephen Tobolowski. You, you usually are uh, on your podcast. You're you're talking to yourself. Uh, what? Uh, how, how long? How long does that take you? It sounds well, like you, you take some breaks in between. Yeah, we, when the podcast started getting picked up by NPR stations, like we, David Chen said, we have to be exactly fifty-one minutes. Oh wow! So we had to go back, and I had to add little bits of story here and there to make sure that the podcasts were all 51 minutes with three, with three breaks. And then, uh, not, not, I don't think we're on MP. We may be on some stations. I don't know, but the main stations with, with the three year hiatus, we weren't on anymore. And so this last season, I just kind of took my own liberties. Hey, you know, like made it as long as I wanted. I think the longest one was like an hour and sixteen minutes, but yeah, it, it usually kind of fits in that in that pocket. 
Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I just, I just uh, started listening to it this this past week, getting ready for the show, and uh, yeah, I, I, I have a lot to catch up on now because I'm hooked. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just I don't know if it's your your voice, the stories. I do have to ask this last episode. Was that is that really a thing? Did you were you almost a multi? You thought you were a multimillionaire. Mo- Almost. <laughs> Not almost. almost. <laughs> I was Richard the Mick Jagger for about 20 minutes. And the woman at the pizza restaurant was so relaxed during the whole thing. And my wife, as you'll listen to the stories, she's always the voice of doom and gloom. That's always yeah. the thing about Ann. Yes, Stephen, but, you know, you're going to end up in jail for tax evasion. Uh, the, the way I didn't see how it was possible that we didn't have $680 million. I just didn't see how that was possible. Right. Yeah, I mean, I did the math <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you did. I mean, yeah. When you were telling the story too, I was like, "Wait, so this guy he's he's that loaded, man? Good for that him." Loaded, then, <laughs> yeah, for about twenty minutes, <laughs> man. But you know, you, you, as your wife said, you look at the cons. You know, you you were you were going to end up in jail anyway. So you're going to end up in jail. It's hard yeah. to have a you know a second address in Luxembourg. That's always difficult to get. Yeah, you know, and. and uh, and it was interesting that the stock that my father forced me to buy when I was working for Uncle Jaime, yeah, American Home Products, ended up being worth so much. That's and insane. it was good enough. It was yeah. good enough. <laughs> it was, oh, I, yeah. do have, I do have an interesting tidbit of a story Please. That, that happened uh, when I was doing the Goldbergs about, I guess it was about four years ago. I don't know if you remember the big... Uh, computer hack of Sony studios and and it was in yeah I guess they were saying it was North Korea eventually but I was one of the victims of that hack really? and so I had many many credit cards in my name circulating China and North Korea South Korea Japan that whole area of the world with $50,000 limits on it and I was like going nuts right and left trying to cancel everything yeah so it took 10 months. We had to get the Department of Commerce involved yeah. to, to, to save me. And we ended up going down to the Social Security Department, and they said, well, all we can really do is block your Social Security number. Yeah. And that'll stop it. However, it'll stop you from anything. I said, it's fine. You know, if there's a problem with social security, which I'm not going to have, I'll just come on down to the office and we'll talk about it. It'll be fine. Right. So I just get my letter in the mail uh, a couple months ago saying, you're going to be 70. You have to apply for your social security now, you know, use it or lose it. You've got to apply now. You can apply online. So I tried my number's blocked. I can't do it. Because oh. of COVID, all the offices are closed. Of course. So now I'm totally screwed. So I tried to do it via the phone. Yeah. So you get, you get a recording saying, your call is very important to us. We will answer you in three hours and 45 minutes. You know that thing? Yeah, yes. So I, never get, I never get an answer. So once in despair, I pick up the phone, call, and there's a person on the other end of the line. Sure. A person. Yeah. And they said, we'll set you up with, with an appointment. We'll call you at home, and we'll take your information. I explained the whole thing about the hack. Right. So the guy calls. And we go through all of the questions to prove that I'm me, who I am. 
And the guy comes up and he says, well, you know, how much do you think you made last year? And I left out the $680 million. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, I said, well, roughly, I think about this much. And he says, what's your profile of income over the years? And he says, well, we have a problem here. Uh, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 69. I said, he says, I see your entire work history here. And it says that Stephen Tobolowsky worked in Dallas, Texas, at E.M. Cans, I said, I work for my Uncle Jaime at E.M. Cans, age 13, 14, and 15. He goes, that's it. That's proof that you are you. Oh, so the man. fact that I worked for my Uncle Jaime was yeah. the one thing that no one could fake. So, oh. that's, so I got my Social Security. Yeah, a good thing you didn't uh, release that episode before, you know, before that. You <laughs> right, know, that would, right. <laughs> could have been anyone. Anyone. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, speaking of which, I was just, uh, I was re-watching uh, the, not the whole movie, I re-watched the Sammy Jenkins scenes in uh, Memento. I have to talk to you about this, especially because, you you, you know, you're working with Christopher Nolan, uh, who now is, you know, uh, one of the top directors in Hollywood. But, you know, pr prior to that, about 13 years before that, uh, there was a movie called Spaceballs with Mel Brooks, who was already an established director. Can you talk about that juxtaposition, the, you know, working with a up-and-comer versus an well, already established the the Mel Brooks thing was uh, I was doing a play at the Los Angeles Theater Center back in it you know the few years it existed with Bill Pullman, and uh, so Bill was already in this movie I don't know and he invited the guy who wrote it and going to direct it who we all know as Mel Brooks to come see the play. So after the play, Mel Brooks came up to me and said, you know, I really, I really enjoyed you, really enjoyed you in the, you know, is it possible you could do a part in Spaceballs? And, and I go, well, God, yeah, sure. Now you have to understand, I had not done a real movie at all in my career. I was yeah. like doing stage plays for you know, minimum, you know, right. they're doing for nothing. So I go, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He says, no, it only works one day. I go, it's fine. It's fine, sir. It's just so fine. Yeah. And he says, well, come to my office and we'll audition and then we'll see how that works and we'll put you in the play. So, so I went to his office. I auditioned for captain of the guard and uh, Mel Brooks says, make it bigger, make it bigger. <laughs> you idiots. And, you know, and I'm, I'm like, you capture their stunt doubles. Make it even bigger. So, you know, so Mel Brooks gave me permission to be big. And my parents were so, so happy that I was doing a movie with someone they had heard of, Mel Brooks. And not only that, it was the stamp of quality. So for them, they thought their son's movie career was, was going to happen. Right. Now, Chris, Chris Nolan, never heard of the guy, you, you know? <laughs> Got this script of Memento, and I don't know how much your your fans uh, know about movie scripts, but a movie script, roughly first draft of a movie script is about 120 pages. Mm -hmm. And that's standard first draft, and then the producers will try to cut that down to 110, even 98. I was, right. <laughs> I, I think I was in one movie that cut it down to 91. Oh, and wow. that, that's when you know you're in, a, in trouble. Yeah. So, so I get this script— and it looks like 
the, the New and Old Testament of the Bible. It's, oh, it's like huge. This script is huge. I'm looking at it. It's like, I'm making this number up now, but it was like 340 pages. It was like gigantic. And right. I'm going like, okay, well, this is a sign of real amateur. This is a sign <laughs> that this movie is just going to be terrible. But <laughs> I will read it. John Pepsodero was the casting director, and he's super good. So I wanted to do the best I could reading this amateur script. So I start reading this script called Memento, and I get like halfway through it, and my wife, Annie, is walking through the room, and I'm going, oh, damn it, damn it, damn it. And she goes, why? Is it as bad as you think? I said, no. So far, it's turning into the best script I've ever read, but I know there's no way they could sustain this, and it's going to end up being just <laughs> terrible. Yeah. So she walks back through. So I'm reading another two hours, oh, and man. then I throw the script against the wall. I finish, throw the script, and she yeah. stuck her head back in and said, terrible. I go, <laughs> Best script I ever read. Oh, man. Absolute best script yeah. I ever read. I said, it's mesmerizing from beginning yeah. to end. It's ingenious. I called up my agent immediately and I said, look, I have to go in on Memento. You have to get me an appointment. I have to meet Chris Nolan. Yeah. We, have to, we have to do this. And, and so I get the appointment and I go in and meet Chris. And he's, he said, so, Stephen, you, you read the script? I said, Yes. And uh, uh, I am interested in Sammy Jenkins. He says, well, you know, there isn't a lot to read as Sammy Jenkins. I said, well, Chris, I'm not here to read for you. Uh, I'm just here to say this. This is one of the best scripts I've ever read, and I've read so many scripts. This thing is brilliant. And so there are going to be a lot of actors in Los Angeles that are going to want to be in your script, but I... And I am betting you, I am going to be the only actor you will see reading for Sammy Jenkins that's actually had amnesia. (laughs) And he said, you've had amnesia? And I go, yes. And this is how that happened. I had a kidney stone, and I had to go to the hospital to have it removed, and they used an an experimental (laughs) drug on me. As my anesthesia. And what they were trying out was this new drug to give to big people. Because I'm like 6'3", I was like 210 or whatever. And so it makes people forget. Like you feel the pain, but you forget. So the doctors and the nurses can give you orders like, hey, big man. Get up on the get 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 up on that operating table. You go, yes, sir, and you jump on, and then you forget, and then they cut you open, and you go, eh, what was that? <laughs> Nothing, big man. Just relax. You'll forget all about it. Yeah. So, like I always say, it was like a bad relationship in an injection. Oh, like man. you just feel the pain, but you forget everything. Yeah. So, like any general anesthetic, it takes several days afterwards for it to wear off. So after I got home. I'm walking through the house, and suddenly there's a half glass of water in my hand. And And it's like I was born in this minute, and I didn't know if I had drunk half the glass of water or if I was going to the kitchen to refill it or if I was coming from the kitchen. The worst was when I was in the bathroom, standing over the toilet. I was holding little Steve, and I did not know (laughs) if I had started to pee, had finished peeing, whatever. Right. And then Annie in the other room says, you finished 10 minutes ago, flush and get out of there. Oh, wow. So you just forget and you're born in that minute. So I told Chris this story and I got the part. 
Wow, that's insane. It's so all you had to do was just tell that story, and you're like, I okay. told that story to Chris, yeah. and and we had the bestest time shooting that movie. Uh, we yeah. ha- it was so great, and Chris is so great at the helm, great director, and uh, I mean, we all had so much fun shooting it. I, it was I a bet. Blast. And I, I mean, how was it? Uh, it's because a lot of your uh, scenes. I mean, you're doing acting with your eyes, which I love. And uh, I mean, was that difficult for you? Was hardest that, part like, I ever had. Yeah. Everybody says, "Oh, what's hard?" You know, Memento was the hardest role I ever played because you realize very quickly. The only thing that drives an actor through the scene is their motivation, right? how they get from point A to point B. But if you really cannot remember, if you really don't know where you are from moment to moment, you have no point A or point B. Yeah. So you have to be willing to float in a sea of nothing in the middle of a scene and try not to act bad, overact right. like, oh, I can't remember what I'm doing. <laughs> right, or, yeah. Or really remember and slip up sometime and you remember yeah. where the TV changer is. You have to know – you don't know where the TV – you don't even know what you're watching. Right, yeah. You have to not recognize your wife and then recognize her. And it has to just happen in the moment. And it was – and Chris wanted coverage for these scenes. Now, these scenes, a lot of the scenes, you know, with Guy Pierce, they weren't scripted scenes. They were long – yeah, they they had no dialogue. Right. But Chris wanted us to put dialogue in. It just make stuff up and do the scenes. And he was going to cover it, which meant as an actor, you have to remember what you did in your last take. So trying to remember what you did in your last take while consciously trying to not remember anything. <laughs> yeah, was it's like a really difficult thing to do. I'm sure. Yeah, it's a paradox. Like it's <laughs> it's insane. Terrible. That's uh, yeah. I'm sure. And uh, speaking of which, the the experimental drug they used on you, did they tell you they were going to be using it, or did they just use it? They didn't use the word experimental. Okay. <laughs> they said That's good. No, they experimental. Said they're using a new drug, and afterwards, I asked the urologist. I said, "What was that you gave me?" He says, and then he told me, "Well, it's an experimental thing that we're <laughs> testing on big people to see yeah. if, if this helps us get you on to the operating table without rupturing, yep. you know, any." Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not what you want to hear when uh, yeah you're no. about to go under. Hey, we're going to try this experimental thing on you. Hey, and, uh, <laughs> when I was going, this is the last detour I'm going to throw in here. When I was going in for my heart surgery, they came in with a marks a lot, and they wrote on my chest heart surgery. Yeah, and I go, what is that for? <laughs> so, so like we we don't like cut off an arm or a leg by accident. I mean, we have a lot of surgeries going on wow. here. Just so we know what's going on. I go, you have to, I have to be a notepad for you to no. remember. <laughs> no. Oh man, that's insane. <laughs> no, but yeah, go on, go on as, as many tangents as you want. Trust yeah, me. Yeah. Um, um, uh, and uh, you know, obviously, we're going to get to the title of the episode, folks. Which, uh, yeah, we're going to get into Mister Smith goes to Washington. Perhaps talk about uh, how it correlates with this year's uh, trial of the Sh- Chicago Seven. Uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't say anything about this. So, Memento was your uh, best script you ever read uh by that time but before then where did groundhog day rank on yeah groundhog day (laughs) happened you know obviously completely different movies completely different to do with time and (laughs) and you when i read groundhog day i thought well this is a very funny bill murray movie it was very much 
part of that era of where you just take Bill and you put him in a series of situations with no consequences, and it's going to be hilarious. You know, situation after situation after situation, and then he gets tired of it, and then he go, tries to kill himself, and then time starts again when he sure. realizes. And what happened was on Groundhog Day, uh, we started shooting that first week, and Harold Ramis at the end of the week shot this enormous set piece of when Bill finds out that he has no consequences and time has stopped. And he's in his inn, he's in the inn, and he goes like, oh, the Sonny and Cher is playing again? Oh, I got it. So he takes spray paint, spray paints the walls, then gets a chainsaw, chainsaws the furniture in two, then he goes to the <laughs> bathroom and cuts his hair into a mohawk. Oh, Typical man. hilarious stuff. Yeah. Now, this is the first week of filming. At the end of the first week, it was a scene that took the better part of two days. First week is when the studio is looking over the director and the producer's shoulder saying, what are you giving me for my money? You have this huge, hilarious scene with Bill Murray, and Harold Ramis threw it away. Oh, he man. He threw it away. <laughs> the first week, he threw it away, and he said, what movie are we doing here? Yeah. What are we really trying to say? And he replaced it with a scene where Bill is in bed, taking notes in the inn, puts the pencil behind his ear, gets an idea, pulls the pencil out, breaks it in two, puts half of the pencil on the clock radio, half on the bedside table. He goes to sleep, Sonny and Cher plays, he wakes up and the pencil is whole. Yeah. And when I saw that scene with the full house of real people, they gasped. Yeah. And what happened at that point, Danny Rubin, Harold Ramis started rewriting Groundhog Day. And wow. they took out a lot of, crazy Bill Murray scenes. They started adding a lot of what we know as his act three of that scene of uh, Bill saving the kid from the tree sure. and Bill helping the women with the flat tire and all that stuff at the end. In fact, they brought me back for the slave auction act three to uh, tie okay. up the Ned Ryerson bit. Right. Yeah. So all that stuff, Bill's suicide attempt moved from near the end of the movie to the end of act two. Uh, Wow. And, so, and so, it made the entire movie, instead of like a great B movie, into an A movie that is even a classic. Yeah, A movie definitely. that is irreplaceable, and and you keep, it'll yeah. be hard. It'll be hard to reach that height again. But that isn't where it started. Right. Yeah. So when you first read the script, yeah, it wasn't on par to what you what it ended up being. It which, ended up uh, being like a, a yeah. thing of untouchable brilliance. It's right. really gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's yeah. It's way deeper than you think it is. Like yeah. it's uh, sure it's hilarious. It's funny, but it's there's a message in it, and it's just yeah. yeah it's it's deep. So, but yeah, had had to talk to you about Groundhog Day. You understand? Um, <laughs> of course, it's a great movie. Great movie. <laughs> And Ned Ryerson is is the best. So, <laughs> am, I, am, am I right or am I right? Am I right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, that's been a. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's been uh Yeah, we've quoted. I've been quoting you since I was a kid. Not to make you feel old, but I've been quoting you since I was a kid. So yeah, I want to uh, kill myself. But yeah, it's, well, <laughs> it's the amazing thing about Groundhog Day, which isn't true with Memento or isn't true with any other great movie I've been in, like Mississippi Burning or whatever. Yes, yeah. It's like Groundhog Day is the one piece of art 
I've been involved with that has usurped reality. Yeah. In the last nearly 30 years since the release of the film, now on news programs, you have news anchors, you have commentators going, well, it's just like Groundhog Day in Washington. They're yeah. not talking about Groundhog Day. They're talking about the movie. Right, yeah. The movie and Groundhog Day, the holiday, has nothing to do with a repeated event. It has right. nothing to do with time stopping or not stopping. In yeah. fact, when Danny was writing the script, Groundhog Day, he, sh he shared this little tidbit with me. He knew he, knew he wanted to set the movie around a holiday. Uh -huh. He thought that would be good, but he wasn't sure what holiday. He thought maybe Thanksgiving would be good or Halloween. Would that be right? And as he kept writing various iterations of the script, the holiday kept changing. Never Arbor Day. I'll be clear. It was never Arbor Day. <laughs> okay, that's, but okay. He ended, that's good to he know. But <laughs> he ended up with Groundhog Day. Yeah. And, and so the, the actual holid, holiday of the title was more of an arbitrary choice by the writer than it was an element of the script. And surprisingly, the theme of the movie has replaced the meaning of the holiday. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. Yeah. It is like, it's yeah part of just the uh, American culture now, you know, it's just like, Oh, you, you groundhog day. You use it like, uh, a verb almost, you know, like you got yeah. Groundhog Day. You yeah. know, if you, everyone's been saying that about the pandemic, you know, you feel like you're in Groundhog Day, you know, same same thing over and over. So I, just, I uh, you know, when I go to the synagogue and the rabbi does a sermon, on several occasions I've heard him go, you know, and our behavior is like Groundhog Day. It's like it says in the Talmud that once you walk the road toward uh, error it becomes easier to do it the second and the third time and the fourth time again, just like Groundhog Day. Yeah. You, you know, so it's becoming <laughs> part of, you know, rabbinic yeah. culture. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And, and you're part of that, my friend, you're part of that history. So yeah, that's great. Um, so again, as, as, uh, as you know, we're talking, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, 1939, Frank Capra. Uh, so Usually, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes have to send a list to guests, but you, I love when guests send me a movie they want to do. So right off the bat, why did you pick this movie? Uh, it's a really special movie for me, and for a lot of reasons. You know, sometimes certain movies are touchstones in your life. When I was a little boy, uh, they had a local channel, Channel 11 in Oak Cliff, where I was growing up. And during the summers, and I don't know if it was true during the school year, they would have classic movies that would run one movie all week. So they would have Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, let's say starting at 11 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon, you know, you, you, the whole right. movie, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I'd never heard of such a movie, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. I, I knew of Godzilla or something like that, but what is this movie that they're playing all week? And then the next week they had Mr. Smith Goes to Washington all week. Yeah. Then they had It's a Wonderful Life all week. Y you know, and so when it rolled around again, I said, I have to see what these movies are. And my first introduction to classic film was on my local station when I saw Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Blew me out of the damn water. As a yeah. little boy, as a little yeah. 
boy, the picture spoke to me. And then I saw the next week, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I was, it was probably Jimmy Stewart's performance in that movie that as a little boy said, you know, I think I want to be an actor. I want to play parts like that where, you, you know, where you're in, Congress and Senate and, you, you know, you're dying to sleep and you pass out on the floor and, and you, you, you know, it's, yeah, it was so exciting to me. And that film meant so much to me. And then let's fade out, fade in several years later. I'm an acting student at SMU. It was probably my sophomore year. So that means 1970. Okay. Then, so I'm like 19 or 20 years of age. And they had just instituted the SMU USA Film Festival, yeah, uh, which they were going to show. And the uh, special guest of honor they brought in that year was Frank Capra. Oh, and <laughs> And Frank Capra, you know, I didn't think, oh, any big deal. I get to meet and talk to Frank Capra. Big deal. And Gene Arthur came. And I sat down on like the second row and they introduced Jean Arthur and she came down and she sat a couple seats down from me on the second row. And I'm looking, oh, that's Jean Arthur. And yeah. and Frank Capper was right up on stage in front of me. People were asking him all sorts of, and we saw a beautifully restored print of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And then we hear all the backstage stuff of what happened. And now as a student wanting to be an actor, the movie meant more to me than just a thrilling narrative. Right. Now I was seeing it as like, this is the trade I want to go into. I want to go into this business that makes films like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, hearty har har. (laughs) You know, it it doesn't happen that often. Right. And, uh, well, I was uh, reading that uh, a lot of people approach uh, Mr. Capra and, you know, a politician said that this movie made them want to be a politician. So what what, what do you think? Did you already have acting ambitions a little when you saw this movie or did? Well, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I think the first time I wanted to be an actor, I was like five because I thought, well, but it's with a five-year-old brain. So it's like, I thought (laughs) monsters were real. Like Godzilla was a real guy. Like that movie was a documentary. Right, not, not yeah. fictitious, but I could be <laughs> friends with Godzilla. I could be friends with the Frankenstein monster, Wolfman, and this is what I wanted to do with my life: is hang yeah. out with these monsters because I thought that would be really cool. Uh, so that was my five-year-old brain. I think I was in Hansel and Gretel when I was six or seven at the park, and I won second best Pee-wee actor. Ooh. For my role as Hansel in Hansel and Gretel, partially because I had to kiss Marsha Housewright on the forehead. And oh. let me tell you, she played Gretel. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you, it that kiss made me so nervous. I don't think I really had ever kissed a girl in my life, right. and I had to do it on stage. Well, it's six stage or seven, kiss. you know, I, I would hope, you know, you haven't kissed too many girls no, besides yeah. your mom. Kiss you kiss know. the girls and make <laughs> cry. Yeah. yeah. My, my Aunt Esther had come in from Pennsylvania, and she was there to see Hansel and Gretel. But my bedtime was 8 o'clock. So yeah. mom had to take me home after my performance. Uh, and I couldn't stay for the award ceremony, which I would have found that I Aunt Esther stayed. And she's yeah. the one who came back and told me and brought me my ribbon 
that I oh, had won man. second best Pee Wee actor. Wow. I always second wondered best. what happened to the guy who, yeah, <laughs> who came in number one. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been looking for him since, <laughs> looking forward since that to day. Him. <laughs> for a smackdown. Yeah. <laughs> Call me number one. <laughs> but, but Mr. Smith goes to Washington. When the first films you encounter are Frank Capra films, you are misled because yeah. he is a sneaky, great director. Sneaky, great. Like, right. he isn't showy like Orson Welles was in Citizen Kane. He's not showy. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he does stuff that I don't think other directors really have been able to do as well since then. Uh, the way he tells a story, the way he uses the camera, the way he uses his character and sets, the way he tells a story is so involving and so different uh, than anybody else. But that was my first taste of film directing. And and so I found it very exciting. And I still do today when I yeah. rewatched uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in one of the great movies ever made. Yeah. One of the great you, movies. Do you have an example of how he's so different in this movie? Do you have a, like a specific scene in mind? Yeah. Well, you take a look at the way... He fills the frame. Yeah. Uh, he'll have the frame empty. Uh, with He'll have a lot of exposition happening, let's say, two people down an empty hallway talking. And I don't know what lens he used. Nothing is really that much in focus. It doesn't right. really matter. And the two people are walking down the hallway talking to each other in kind of an empty frame. And then when – and that is when Jimmy Stewart first comes – to to Washington, and he walks right. with Jean Arthur down the hall, and she's trying to explain to him, you know, a little bit about what. And so they're walking, and it's empty, Washington. But when he accepts the senatorship without knowing, and he's at the table in front with Claude Rains and Edward Arnold, and and the audience is filled with people crammed in there, and evening gowns and tuxedos and and hundreds hundreds of people to celebrate him being named senator and then Frank Capra brings this damn marching band with kids yeah. <laughs> and not playing in tune you yeah. know playing dun, 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 or what you know not playing in tune at all and it's it is his way of injecting this chaos into a scene that could either be horrifying or it could be hilarious. So you have right. this formal setting. He did it with uh, the trucks running the kids off the road. Right. You, you yeah. know, he jams the frame and then he has something horrifying happen. Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, you know, like you said, with the kids coming in out of tune and everything, like it's movies back then, you think like they're, everything has to be perfect and, you know, straight. It's a movie, whereas he brought in some realism, whereas, you know, those kids came in, you know, in real life. Yeah, they'd probably be out of tune a little. And, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's realism, you know. It's, if, uh, if you take a little example, in, in the scene where Guy Kibbe, who plays the governor of mm -hmm. the state. Governor uh, Hopper. Yeah, where, where he comes in to dinner, where he's trying to figure out who he's going to get to replace the senator, even the – maybe the shill of uh, Edward Arnold – uh, I, I mean, uh, right? Uh, uh, Jim Taylor. Taylor. Jim Taylor, yeah, yeah. played by 
played by Edward Arnold. Played yeah. by so Jim yeah. Taylor, his stooge, or the the other guy who who I forget the name of the the yeah. candidate, but Edward Arnold called him a long hair. Yeah. So you figured like he was some kind of radical or something right. that the people, you know, some kind of communist that they yeah. wanted. And so Guy Kibbe sits down at the dinner table and he has four children on each side, right? He's got like eight children and his wife at the head of the table, something like that. And the second child is in focus. Right. The closest children next to him are out of focus and the ones further away are out of focus. And it creates... I guess you would say this feeling of realism, yeah. nothing pretty, nothing fancy, that the guy that the people in the foreframe are out of focus and it's radical. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, he he and yeah, you didn't it doesn't seem like you saw that a lot until until he came along, which yeah, it's it's great. I mean, it's uh, you know that's what what uh these uh, innovators do, you know, they bring out new, th- that's how movie, you know, films change. And it's even, it brings me to James Stewart a little, you know, you got, you know, movies back then, you know, were so th- theatrical. The acting was like, they were, you know, came from the theater. I'm sure a lot of them. And, um, you know, so they're acting kind of that acting kind of transferred over to film. Whereas I feel like, you know, Jimmy Stewart was one of the first that, you know, brought more of hum humanity to roles. Um, um, which is, yeah, another, uh, I guess you ca- could call him an innovator as well. You know, he's, you know, he's before Brando, you know, before, uh, a lot of the greats. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just so, so great. Perfect. The, perfect the important role, role the important role in a Frank Capra movie is the everyman. Yeah. Everyman. That's, exactly. And, yep. and in Mr. Deeds, you had Gary Cooper yeah. and there was talk that, you know, Frank Capper wanted Gary Cooper for this movie too. Just roll them right down. So you have Mr. Deeds goes to wa- Mr. Deeds goes to town. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Both played by Gary Cooper, who was some cowboy from Montana, yeah. you know. But he's great because he <laughs> right. he's, uh, he doesn't act, you know. He's he's so simple. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, one thing Gene Arthur said at SMU when. We were talking about the movie. I cannot believe in my life I got to talk to Gene Arthur. Yeah. Oh my God. I she she echoed, I get to talk to Stephen Tobolowski, you know. Oh, I mean, yeah. No, I mean seriously. Go ahead. anyways, go ahead. She she echoed what you were talking about in that Frank Capra liked to use people who were well versed in theater. The yeah. reason being is he could count on their professionalism because he didn't like to do many takes. Yeah. She said their shooting schedule was very fast, and a lot of things would be one, two takes at most, move it on. And yeah. so he wanted people that could get it right the first time and then move sure. it on, move yeah. it on. Yeah. They, they have to do, you know, plays for months and months and months and <laughs> memorize the, their lines. So, yeah, yeah, might as well have people who can memorize their lines easy. Uh, yeah. And it, 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 it works for me because of, you know, you, you do bring in a realism character like like Jimmy Stewart. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what it is about this time frame, like 1930s to 1950s movies. I, I must be so naive. Um, I, I, you know, watch this movie and I'm like, how are there corrupt politicians in the 30s? You know, that's, it's, yeah, it's like, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm so like, 
surprised when that happens and it's like well like then you think like well there's been a first world war before this there's been like there's evil in the world um but i don't know there's just and there's depression you know yes yeah mr deeds goes to town i think was like 33 I think do you do you have that there somewhere? Mr. Smith was thirty nine. Mr. Thirty nine. Thirty six was Mr. Deeds. Okay, yep. See, I knew that Mr. Deeds was in the heart of the depression, right? And yeah. Frank Capra is doing a movie about the depression, right? He's doing a movie about people with nothing, and then you have Gary Cooper who ends up inheriting all this money. Yeah. <laughs> and he wanted to give his money away to to some of these to help some of the other people and a lot of the lawyers and the people involved with that trust fund yeah. money wanted to get him committed to right. steal that money away from him. Yeah. So there is corruption at the <laughs> highest level. So now in this movie in 39 so World War II is about to start. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's problems on the horizon here. And here you have, well, it's interesting when we get into the Chicago 7 business. Yeah. Which which is the hot which is the hot ticket movie in terms of political turmoil. This yeah. film, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Joseph Kennedy in in the Senate tried to have the film banned. He, he he wanted to have a ban. And he and he got it banned in some of the some of the countries in Europe. Yeah. To where you to where you, you couldn't show it. And and in the Senate, they tried to pass a bill. See if this sounds like cancel culture to you. Mm-hmm. They tried to pass a bill over Mr. Smith Goes to Washington saying that film uh, movie theater owners yeah. don't have to feel dependent on showing features that the studio gives them. If they wish, they don't have to they don't have to screen them and they can just not screen them at all. Yeah. You know, they were yeah. trying to black out Mr. Yeah. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah, and it, it, it totally goes against everything I think Mr. Smith goes to Washington and stands for, you know, the Constitution, America, freedom of speech, all that, you know, and that, that you know, it just totally goes against it. It's people, you know, it's similar to people trying to control the news and and all that, you know, it's uh yeah, it's And it's, and the amazing thing about Jimmy Stewart is, you know, Jimmy Stewart always wanted to fight in the war. Mm, he wanted really? to be a soldier, always oh, okay. wanted to be a soldier. I mean, he's very much like uh, the character he plays in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Okay. He was a true patriot. Yeah. And what happened was he had enlisted, and uh, they had a couple big people from Hollywood got killed. You know, they got killed. And so they said, you can't do this now. We can't. It'll dishearten America if anything happens to you. Right. He tried I think this is correct. Oh, fact check me, please. Oh, I will. I will. Uh, Criticize. But he Twitter, tried Twitter will. <laughs> three times. And finally, he ended up in the Air Force. He ended up as a captain. He ended up running bon- bombing missions, several bombing missions in Europe. And he, w- and, and he was decorated. And when he came back yeah. to America, he pretty much had a nervous breakdown. Frank Capra wanted to work with him again on a little movie called It's a Wonderful Life. And don't know it. And Jimmy yeah, and yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart was was like 
I'm not, I, I, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the same person I was when I left. And yeah. Frank Capra, if you see that amazing movie, It's a Wonderful Life, which I've seen 300 times. Yeah. But in that movie, uh, Jimmy Stewart gets trapped in time. He wishes he never existed. Yep. And then he runs back and he sees the world without him. Yeah. And the nightmare that it is. And that living hell, Frank Capra chose to be him being beaten up in, Mart- in Martini's bar, thrown out and the n- nightmare on Main Street and running into Donna Reed, who's an old widow now, yeah. as the first scenes they shot of that movie. Really? Because Jimmy Stewart was trying to come to grips with yeah. healing from what he saw and what he did in World War II. Man. And they did all the younger stuff, the lighter-hearted stuff near the end of the movie when he was finally able right. to get his feet on the ground. That but that's is, two yeah. totally different Jimmy Stewarts from Mr. Smith to It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, that yes. that no, that that almost seems like the ultimate method acting without actually trying to do it. You know, yeah, that's like yeah. that. You know, you could you could even make a case for that. That you know, it was uh, obviously he didn't go to war for for a part. You know, he didn't no. go for, but uh, but yeah, he used that in those initial scenes, and then yeah, I'm sure there was a healing Amazing. process for him just just making that movie. That's yeah, that's powerful, man. <laughs> powerful. Uh, yeah, very. Um, <laughs> it, it, and I could make an argument that It's a Wonderful Life could be his best performance. But yeah, a lot yeah. of people consider this, uh, This, of course, he won the Academy Award for the next movie he did, I think, which is Philadelphia Story. Yeah, he won for Philadelphia Story. He, yep. Which was the next movie he did. Yep. But you know how that is with the Academy Award. You know, you should have gotten it for the year before, and they didn't exactly. give it to you, so they give it to you the next year. <laughs> yeah, you know, see that's, see uh, Leonardo but, DiCaprio, see, uh, I don't know, a lot of actors, yeah. <laughs> yeah, They're like, ah, we should have gave it to you years before, but yeah, here you go. <laughs> Scorsese, but, Scorsese, you know, all that. <laughs> when you were talking about political corruption, at the beginning of Mr. Smith yeah. Goes to Washington, here's a fantastic Frank Capra touch. If you were to take a look at the way political corruption is painted in all the president's men, right? It's deep throat yeah. in the garage and it's, yep. let me, Hal Holbrook with the cigarette and, okay, listen, you're very big. Or you take a look at Warren Beatty and Parallax View. Or, or you take, you know, there's always something damn sinister about right. political corruption. There, even in the best of those movies, there's a little twirling of the mustache. Yeah. And Mr. Smith goes to Washington, not at all. You you don't know who, uh, you know, Edward Arnold is. You don't know who Taylor, right? Sam Taylor? Jim Taylor. Jim Taylor. You don't know who Jim Taylor is yet. Jim Taylor's the character. But he's a mild-mannered guy. Speak to Claude Rains and... You know, Claude Rains is saying, you know, maybe we should hold off this Willow Creek Dam business. In, and, right. And there's no must. It's just the dearest thing. Oh, you know, it's terrible. We have the deficiency bill that has to right. people need 
help. You know, we've, we've spent years trying to get this together. Uh, and it's all this low, calm, sweet speech. You yeah. Know, we've worked so well together. I think we should just keep on the path we're going. All right. All right. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, there's no twirling of the mustache in, in terms of this is how political corruption happens. Definitely it happens not. Yeah. so simply and so yeah. subtly. Very uh, subtly. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, you got to, I mean, you know, uh, art imitates life, life imitates art, all that. You know, you look at, you know, something like Game of Thrones, uh, that that has a lot of this political uh, gray area where you don't know who the good guys are, the bad guys are. And yeah, that's for a 1939 movie to do this is just astounding. And and I Um, love the introduction of Guy Kibbe in the movie who plays the governor. He gets the phone call right at the beginning of the movie that the sitting senator has had a heart attack and has died and he has to be replaced. Placed. And then it cuts to Claude Rains. First, you have the newspaper man getting the story. Then that shot cuts to Claude Rains hearing it over the telephone. And that cuts to a telephone call to a guy who's dressed like Rip Van Winkle, right? The introduction, you don't really know who Guy Kibbe is, but he's in this. He's wearing this nightshirt, this raggedy yeah. little nightshirt with a little bald head, and he's looking like this schlub, you, you know, and his wife says, what happened? And, you know, we have to call Taylor because the senator died. Next yeah. time you see Guy Kippy, he's in like tuxedo and tail. Right. You know, he's in the office working. You go like, oh, so, you know, what, what's the old thing? You look at the think of the audience naked to not be right, nervous yeah. when you're on stage. Don't do that, by the way. Yeah. That's a bad idea. Don't think of the audience naked. It yeah, will that's... really upset you. But <laughs> if you think of them in their underwear, yeah. that could be kind of amusing. And to basically see these important political people in their underwear to begin with. Yeah. And then suddenly they're all dressed in these fine clothes that are very imposing. And the first time you, you see Taylor... Uh, do you remember what's happening in the scene? This is another example of Capra, the brilliance of Capra. Do you remember, Taylor gets the phone call. Do you remember what's happening in the scene? Refresh my memory. Yeah. In the background, <laughs> there's a high stakes poker game going on. Oh, yes, yes. There's a poker yep. game going on. Then it yeah. cuts to Claude Rains getting the phone call and talking to Taylor and while Claude Rains is on the phone talking, on his wall above him are the awards and everything he's got. Yeah, but right, right above his head is the picture of Taylor. Yeah. On the wall above his head. That's, like, that's Frank Capra. The control he has over, you know, all these characters, you know. And, and yeah, that is Capra just adding little subtle things for you to, you know, pick and, up and, on. And, and it... You know, you feel that there's such attention to detail in this film. When Gene Arthur realizes, you know, what they want to do is Jimmy Stewart wants to build this dam. He wants to build a a, a, a boys camp, boys or, camp, yeah, yeah, where where Claude Rains and Taylor want to build this graph dam, this dam where they've been secretly buying up plots of land where yep. this dam is going to be under phony names. Yep. So they could sell it back to the state and right get our tax money. 
Yeah. You know, have the have these two private citizens make millions and millions. You know, I always wonder how do people now. I, I don't want to be cynical. Please I mean, do. This, this movie shows you cynicism doesn't work. But yeah. how do the people go into the House of Representatives or the Senate? You, in when I was a kid, they made a hundred thousand a year, then a hundred fifty. Now I think they make two hundred fifty a year. But yeah. how do they leave with like? Fifty, hundred million dollars. You know, know. how does yeah. that happen? Where does that money come from? And <laughs> exactly. it comes from being first in line of knowing, oh, the Moderna vaccine. You know, get, yes, get, get your ticket today, guys. I'm just telling you, it's going on the market tomorrow, and that's how it happens. And the political corruption happens very quickly and very subtly. Um, Frank Capra puts little things in every scene. And you can watch this movie and over and over again. Gene, uh, Gene Arthur gets drunk because she right. really yep. does feel Great that Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart is an honest person come to Washington. First right. thing he does is try to see the Lincoln Memorial and, and the Capitol Dome. And, and he's so filled with the words of, of Washington and Lincoln and and, it's great. And it's, he he, it's, he represents the innocence, you know, he, the innocence of it all, you know. He's he's and it, what's it's great. He's a big kid, essentially. Is this Jefferson Smith, James Stewart, and, and Claude Rains' daughter is the femme fatale. You know, yep. she's absolutely gorgeous. She looks like she's on the cover of Mademoiselle magazine. And yep. the plan is, you know, they, you know, Taylor says, get your daughter, take. Take him out. Make sure he's not in the Senate to hear the bill that we're the deficiency bill with the part about Willa Dam. So he won't hear it and he won't be able to object. And so yeah. Jimmy Stewart goes out with the femme fatale. Gene Arthur realizes that it's going to hit the fan because they used him to be just a placeholder and. He, yeah, he, his head got turned by this pretty girl, so she's going to quit because yeah. she's had enough. She can't stand to see it anymore, so she's unpacking her desk. Do you remember some of the objects that she unpacks from her desk while she has this huge monologue about how this town is so terrible? And she's talking to uh, Thomas Mitchell, who's been so great in so many movies. Uh, Diz, he, he plays Diz in this. Yep, he plays he, the big uh, reporter there, and yeah, and he he's wants to always with marry Gene Arthur. Wants to marry her, but he's an old drunk. Yeah. Is all he really <laughs> is. And so she has this big speech about saying how something fine and something decent has come to this city, and we have destroyed it. We have torn yeah. it apart. I've had enough of it. I'm not going to watch any more of this. And she's yeah. emptying her stuff and putting it in a big box. Do you remember some of the things she empties? I just watched it last night and I don't. I don't remember. Tell me. She <laughs> takes papers. Then she takes her coffee cup. Then she reaches into the bottom drawer and pulls out the raggedy doll she had as a child. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, but without making a deal of it, Frank Capper just has her empty and stuff. And then in one hand, she pulls out this little doll that looks like yeah. it's 30 years old. And she puts it in the box with yeah. all of her books and papers and coffee cup. And I'm it, leaving it, town. She brought the doll to yeah. town. 
Exactly. And it's, you know, you, I don't want to say lesser, but a lesser director would like have a moment with that where it kind of, you know, might <laughs> right. have a shot at the, you know, the doll and her looking at it and it no. represents the innocence. Exactly. No, it's it's about subtlety and, you know, it's it, it's not about the big picture necessarily of the movie. It kind of is, you know, with, uh, you know, people holding on to their childhoods and, you know, Jim uh, Jimmy Stewart representing kind of... Uh, he almost represents children in this movie. Well, <laughs> you know, as he's, a matter he's, of fact, the big kid. as a matter of fact, I took down one of my favorite lines of the movie. Yeah, he says he's talking about doing his chil- children's camp, and he says, "I want to get boys out there, boys of all types, walks of life, uh, different types of living, and see how they all are together, and get into the beauty of nature, and see." And now I'm not quoting the movie now, quoting nature because. Sometimes boys forget. Yeah. And then he says right after that, and sometimes when men come here, men forget. Yeah. And and one of the themes of the movie is with all of these things of Washington and Lincoln and all this stuff around us, people forget what it is that took to make America great and what ideas right. that there are that are that we cannot forget. And the line is, Jimmy Stewart says, you're going to have to decide what you believe in. Yeah. And, yeah that's... and if you forget, now, in Judaism, here we go yeah. to the Talmudic thing. <laughs> Remembrance is an element of God. Yeah. That the word to remember is in the Torah. That phrase is in the Torah more than any other uh quality of God is that he remembers. God remembers man. God remembers. God remembers. And remembrance is a sign of of holiness, and that's the curse of Alzheimer's, is that when you lose the godly part of you, the ability to—you can't remember anymore. Oh, man. And and, and the the same thing is true with the nation. The same thing is—it's so easy to forget— Right. Why things were the way they were, why they were passed. And I was just listening to one of your episodes, and yeah, you, uh, I wish I knew, uh, I I wish I knew now what I knew then. Yes, right. (laughs) Instead of of the other way around, you know, it's like, yeah. I wish I knew now what I knew then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it kind of correlates with that a little too. It's, uh, yeah, it's. Can I ask you a question about the movie? Please. This is this is something that I expected, and I had a startling response to it. Uh, the race, the race issue of the movie. I expected it all to be all white men mm-hmm. in the Senate, and I'm not surprised. It is right. all white men. Every part in this movie, every major part in the movie, except really Gene Arthur and Beulah Bondi, really are white men. Right, yeah. How did you respond to the idea? Now, there are some black men in the movie. Right. There are yeah, some. There are, yep, There's, yep. They're very few, and they have very yeah. specific part. How did you respond to this, this film, which is from an era, a totally different era, where it's all white, all, all white right. Yeah. Well, I was actually surprised uh, that there were people of color, especially with the the uh, the little kid in the uh, press um, 
you know the the printing station whatever you want to call it yeah um yeah he you know he has he has a, a big part and no one's you know they're not maids or anything i mean you have the one shot of um a few of them <laughs> the one guy's holding the pigeons the porters he, the porters yeah, that are yeah. following the politicians around with all the bags right and they don't have a single line but you have like three or four black porters carrying all right. the luggage Back and forth, back and forth, until finally they go. They just drop the luggage and leave the scene. Right? Not, yeah, <laughs> I love that. And then and there it's... is one other black man, and that is uh, when Jimmy Stewart walks up t- to the Lincoln. Memorial. Lincoln. Yep. 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 Yeah, that's a that's a powerful moment. Definitely. Yeah. He's. Uh, yeah. That's great. I love that. It's like i said very powerful yeah jimmy stewart's kind of reading the speech that uh that the famous speech abraham lincoln gave and you see this black man coming up and just looking at awe at uh at abraham lincoln you know what he did for uh you know <laughs> you, you all know what abraham lincoln did um, and just but, to uh, jump to like one of the many comparisons with the trial of the chicago 7 yeah in the trial of the chicago 7 I don't think this is planned to, in any way, follow anything in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. You have all white, basically all white defendants except sure. yep. for, uh, what, Frank, Franklin Seal? What, what, no, yeah, uh, Seal. I know Seal's his last name. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Who's head of the Black Panthers, but right. he is ordered by the court— not to speak. Yep. And when he does talk to the the person, uh, the, the head of the Panthers who's behind him to give him legal advice, yeah. the judge again says, you are not to speak. So you do have black people in the audience, but they do not speak. And they're not allowed to speak. And when they do speak, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. yeah so exactly. so you, 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 you have this one film that's all white. Right. Except you have a couple black roles, a little boy and an older man in very moving roles. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then you have this other movie, which is made right now, where you do have a ton of seriously great black actors mm-hmm. that aren't allowed to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, you know, if they're trying to be accurate, I guess that just speaks, uh, you know, to the to the times. I mean, is that what you're getting at? I mean, is it just uh, I, I just um, thought it was I thought it was curious. I thought yeah, if you yeah. take a look at Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know, the epic story modalities are the hero's journey. Yeah. And you could certainly say it is the hero's journey. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Uh, with Jimmy Stewart being our hero. Oh, it's absolutely. also part of the modality of what they say, a stranger comes to town. Yeah. The classic yeah. screenplay modality, a stranger comes to town. And mm-hmm. so when Mr. Smith comes to Washington, you have a stranger come to town. In Trial of the Chicago 7, you have strangers coming to town. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, strangers Plural, folks. Plural. Plural. Well, yes. Plural coming to town. And <laughs> yeah. that's what the story is based on. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, they're both politically charged films. Uh, and, you know, you got, uh, you know, you kind of look at the difference between the, the judges. You know, you got, um, why do I want to say Frank Lange? Frank Langella. 
Frank Frank Langella, thank you. Uh, you know he's the judge Brilliant. in Chicago uh, for the tr- uh, trial for the Chicago Seven, and then you have the president of the Senate, played by Harry, Harry Carey. Carey. Harry Carey, not the Cubs. Harry Carey, but his but, father, uh, right? Yeah, I believe so. Harry Carey Senior. And and is it really actually? I think so. And oh, I thought we were joking, but that's great. No, no I think so. But but you wow. have but but both of those judges. Yeah. Play critical narrative yes. parts in the trial that are quite different. Yes, very different. Yeah, because I mean, you get every time you know they they flash over to Harry Carey. I mean, he's he, he he's smiling at uh, Jimmy Stewart. You know, kind of almost giving him his uh, approval and like, hey, I appreciate what he's doing. And uh, and then yeah, on the opposite with uh, uh, Chicago Seven, uh, you have a very uh, abrasive and. Um, you know, uh, just not not a good person, a judge that is uh, Frank Langella. Um, amazing, yeah, it's, amazing yeah. performance. Yeah. Oh, great. yeah. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. It's it's wonderful. Um, but uh, but but yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah. This this uh, uh, Mr. Smith. I mean, it's. I I also like how they. Th- there's no mention of the state he's from. Um, I know. You know. <laughs> uh, you know. It's supposed to be from Montana. I think was the original thing. But I like how it doesn't say it in the movie. And uh, and there's no mention of political party either in this movie, which I thought was. Uh, was good because you know there's no no sides you you can just watch it as they're politicians on either side watch it just here you go frank capper just says here you go decide for yourself <laughs> you know because if it's you know the uh, democrats doing the uh the corruption or the republicans doing the corruption whoever's watching is going to have bias and be like well they're doing it for this reasons and blah 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 but nope they're just straight up politicians. <laughs> straight up, appre- straight yep. up politicians. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're yeah, they're they're just bad apples on both sides. There can be, and you know, it's. Uh, but yeah, J- Jimmy J- Jefferson Smith comes in and just does the filibuster, and you know, just because uh, they try to uh, basically say he owned all this land and that's why he wants to build this boy camp on it. So the government will buy it from him and, uh, they're forging signatures for him and everything. Uh, so yeah, he has to do a filibuster. Otherwise they'll vote to get him off the Senate. But, uh, this is, uh, yeah, just heroic. Uh, one of the best heroic, uh, characters on film, I think is Jefferson Smith. And, and, uh, uh, talk about the women some, because, you, you in both movies, both uh, Mr. Smith and Chicago Seven, you have central roles of women who are unexpected aides to uh, a party that you wouldn't expect. You have right. Jean Arthur, who is tough as nails. This she's mocking this guy coming into office. He's some sort of bozo. What I have to set up the Boy Scout fire, you know? Uh, right. You know, I'm 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 not going to babysit this little lamb. And then in Chicago Seven, you have the FBI agent, who yeah, who, the female FBI agent right. who who ends up coming on to Jerry Rubin, and she gives advice to those guys. Well, you know, that's probably not a good idea. You know, yeah. she she gets their ear. You know, because she's hot, you know, she, you know, and Jerry Rubin's like, you know, wow, you know, and, and 
And she's a plant. And of course, they have the hilarious line in Chicago 7, do you think that we've did you think everybody was an FBI plant that that we yeah. that we've done these speeches to ten thousand FBI agents? Right. And it, yeah. And it gets the feeling that everybody that everything is infiltrated with those exactly. guys. They had, they yeah. but that FBI agent, you know, on the stand, she really does kind of come to their defense. Right. Yeah. And and uh, in a, in a very kind of supportive, dear way. Uh, yeah. Very much like Gene Arthur turns around and Jimmy Stewart listens to her. Also, also, just to bring up, you have Gene Arthur in the balcony. Yep. Giving cues to Jimmy Stewart as yeah. what to do. And yeah. you have the Black Panther guy right behind Steele, you know, giving him cues as to what to do. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And you have, again, the both judges, you have Harry Carey looking up at, at amusement. Yeah, at amusement. Of his exactly. girlfriend. Yep. And he puts his hand over his face and smiles yeah. like that's <laughs> got to be his girlfriend giving him. Yeah. <laughs> but then you have Frank Langella looking at this. Are you getting legal advice from the, right. you, know, you, you know, and it's completely different. You know, tables are turned. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you look at the, you know, cor- corruption. It just depends on who sits at the chair at that time. They happen to get that judge at that time for the uh, Chicago 7, uh, who was, yeah, just uh, awful to them and not fair and, you know, uh, biased and all that. Um, and then, you know, you have Harry Carey, who just happened to be the uh, president of the Senate at that time. So, I mean, it's. Timing is a is a big thing in life too, you know. It's just uh, you know, uh, got to be at the right place at the right time, <laughs> sort of thing. It kind of makes me think of, uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I I love yeah Harry Carey in this because he's kind of just like he's just hearing everyone out in this, you know. He's just like, okay, you know, I'm just gonna listen to you and <laughs> let you do your thing. <laughs> I respect you. I respect you. <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, it's great. And yeah. Uh, uh, James Stewart just takes it the whole way, you know. He just he just keeps going, and I love when he talks about, you know, is this is this another lost cause, you know? And <sighs> you know, you once said how lost causes are uh, the only, you know, the only causes worth fighting for, or something along those lines. You know, the the uh, best causes to fight for, um, or the ones you fight strongest for, I believe, is what the yeah, the, the, the only causes yeah. worth fighting for. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you something I saw this time. Now, this is, again, the thousandth time I saw this movie. But I saw something on this time through that I didn't see before. So if people are inspired to watch this movie, when Jimmy Stewart uh, becomes senator and he's at the table and he starts talking about Claude Rains, how we really don't need another senator for our state with – Claude Rains, right. the, the present senator being so good that Claude Rains has a family history with us. Do you remember what the senator's name is? He was Senator the Claude Rains, his character name. Oh, Claude Rains, yeah, Sen- uh, Senator Payne. Joseph senator Payne. Payne, Joseph yep. Payne, the white knight, silver-haired knight. Uh, yeah. Joseph Payne, uh, he, knew, he knew my father— and then it goes to Claude Rains's face of like, what, 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 what is he talking about? Yeah. And then this awareness, and he turns, and Beulah Bondi, who plays Jimmy Stewart's mother, is sitting next to him, and she's looking 
across the the dinner table at Claude Rains and Claude and they meet eyes. Yeah. And there is this smile and I felt it was a little romantic. Interesting. And it yeah. made me wonder if there was some kind of affair there. Yeah. And that actually Jimmy Stewart was Claude Rain's son. Whoa. Because later in the movie, Claude Rain says, oh, he's just like a son to me. Man. I, <laughs> watch you just, watch you the, the scene. Bomb. Watch the scene <laughs> yeah. where, where Jimmy Stewart does his first speech and that look Beulah Bondi gives to him. Okay. Blushes and looks at Claude Rains and Claude Rains looks and his eyes fill with tears when he looks at her. Man. Like, oh. That's a... Uh, and then he you, smiles and breathes. I had never seen that before, but Frank Capra always I, puts sex things in his movies Yeah, uh, it, as a sign of the times. Right, yeah. You, you know, not like we would do today, where, you sure, know, you yeah. would flash skin or something. And I'll tell you something else that's cool about Frank Capra. And that is the love completion mm-hmm. in this movie with Gene Arthur and Jimmy Stewart. Because yeah. he is a thing the whole time for uh, Senator Payne's daughter, Susan. Because she's so yeah, hot. Right, yeah. And, he's dropping and, his hat and, 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 and talking Gene to her. Gene Arthur is just kind of... Clarissa, you know that that isn't that her real name, Clarissa? Yeah, well, was that like a terrible name back then or something? I, like I, the- think, <laughs> I think it was a silly name. And when he he brings up names, what was your name, Abigail, Letitia, you know, and, yeah. and the names he brings up were all these silly names. And I looked up all the different names. Right, they were all heroines. Oh, you have Abigail okay, yeah. Adams, you have Letitia, who was a, a, a saint in the Catholic Church. You, okay. you know, the, the names that he brings up are heroic women. Right. <laughs> and you have this crusty, toughest nails, Jean Arthur. And what she is moved by is not his pecs or his abs. Yeah. What, what she is moved by is his innocence yeah. and his passion. Yeah. And, and that's what the audience feels too when watching this. It's so hot. Yeah, yeah, it is hot. It's hot. I'm, I feel hot when just just talking about it. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> cool your jets. <laughs> All right, sorry. I'll, whew, cool right. it down. Turn turn the fan on here. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's I love yeah, Jean Arthur in this in this movie. She's she's outstanding. I love her. Uh, I, I feel like character arc is thrown around too much, but I do love her character arc. Uh, no, it's character development that is thrown around too much. Yes. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I do like her character development in this movie. Um, it's it's just yeah, it, it fits so well. You know, she brushes him off when he first comes into the office. Like, what are you doing here? Get out of here! And then she realizes who he is, and you know, and then just it goes from there. <laughs> you know, to them ba- essentially falling in love with each other. Um, which yeah, it uh, you feel you know and it feels real it doesn't feel forced at all uh which uh capra is uh is just great at so Mm -hmm. um i have three other quick comparisons with chicago yes with the chicago trial of the chicago seven both films display the government as an adversary yes that is true the government doesn't come to anyone's aid the government is is not your friend in both right uh in both movies, there is basically a political trial. Yes. Right? That is, yep, exactly. It's basically yep. a political trial. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, in both movies, uh, civil disruption, rioting, violence are used to uh, yep. enforce political will. R- right. Right. Yeah. They they do water hoses. Uh, uh, Mr. Yeah. Smith. They do water hoses on the people parading, saying, "Listen to Mr. Smith. He's telling yep. the truth." And they and they run the kids. You know, they run over the kids with their little trucks, right. their, their little baby newspapers and the mean, yeah. I mean, civil so, disobedience and, and, and violence and rioting to enforce a political end. Yeah, great, great comparisons. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's just crazy how, uh, you know, a 1939 movie you can just relate to today, too. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, let's face it, not much has changed. I mean, there's always going to be corruption in the government, corruption in anything that might make money, that might give you power. Um, but uh, be, you got you got the Jefferson Smiths, you got the uh, the Rubens, the Abby Hoffmans, you know, in, in uh, I think I'm saying their names right in the trial of the chicago seven but uh yeah and is it is it bad to do spoilers on your show nope okay i'll I'll warn them in the intro another key thing another key thing in both films in the climax of the films in the climax of jimmy stewart's uh before he collapses he's going to read the text of the entire constitution (laughs) into into the record yep and Gene Arthur says, you know, and do it slowly. Yeah, do, do it, it slowly. Do it slowly. Exactly. The issue is do it slowly. Yeah. Uh, doing, and at the end of the trial, the Chicago 7, what, you want me to do it fast? And Franklin Jealous is, yes, uh, a short, brief statement. And uh, Eddie Remain, who uh, Tom Hayden in, yep. in it, reads, says, okay. And he begins to read into the record the over 5,000 who had died in the Vietnam War. Yep, yep. So exactly. in, both, in both climaxes of movies, they are reading long, long things into the record to make, not, not necessarily make their case work, but to go down swinging. Yeah, exactly. They're going to go down swinging. Both yeah. of them feel they have a lost cause. They're yeah. going to go down swinging. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get me down that easy. And I love when Jefferson Smith initially yields to uh, uh, pain, and you know, a few scenes prior, and then when he realizes what that means, he doesn't yield to him. After he's like, "No, I'm not yielding to you." Like, <laughs> yeah, are you crazy? Again, like, pal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll yield for a question. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's. It's about the little guy. It's about, yeah, again, if it's a lost cause, that's the one worth fighting for. And, uh, yeah, both fo- both uh, uh, films do that uh, brilliantly, I'd say. Obviously, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is, is the classic. Uh, we'll see uh, how uh, Chicago 7 stands the test of time. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, both, both powerful films with their messages and everything. Great acting um, in both films. Great yep. acting in both films. But it's interesting in our new era, you know, where we're shooting movies for television and Roma was different, you know, shooting for Netflix. Roma really looked like a movie. Yeah. But a lot of times I see movies that are made for television, basically for Netflix or Apple or HBO, any of those things. 
they're not really shot like movies. They're basically people having dialogue and scenes and restaurants and cars right whatever you don't have the vista that you do in mr smith goes to washington of that entire senate chamber with a a thousand people watching in the audience up above them and and all the senators and all the desks (laughs) and the pages running up and you don't have that vista Right. Yeah. It's amazing production design, you know, especially for back then. Uh, I assume it was a set. I don't think they were filming. No, no, it was a set, but they they did it exactly, you know, not not to make a a silly comparison, but with Glee. Uh, When we did Glee, we we shot some of the first shows at a high school in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. And then when Glee became a success, they moved everything to Paramount. And we shot it at Paramount, but those art directors measured everything on oh, the wow. <laughs> on the on the stage of Long Beach High School, including yeah. the aisles and the chairs and the fabric of the chairs, and they completely reconstructed the stage and the auditorium Man. over at Paramount. It was amazing. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, it's but just, that's I, what I, they I, did with Mr. Smith. They reconstructed I, the Senate chambers. I yeah I love when they go into detail you know like that even if you you, you know because the audience isn't gonna you know notice if a, a foot is off or you know or a couple a couple feet ten feet for that matter but I love that you know they they respect their work so much and put pride in their work so much that they do that kind of stuff and yeah you just you just hope that you know people continue it it seems like you know uh, uh practical effects are coming back in films which is great um and yeah it just it just adds to the art you know it adds to the to the aesthetic and everything so yes yes yeah it's beautiful beautiful uh but uh but yeah i mean that was there anything else you had on these two film I, i'm trying to look at my notes here i had a lost cause we talked about uh do, 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 do. yeah i think i covered oh well I did. so is the government a broken system do we have a broken system Stephen? uh the system is as broken as the people who are involved yeah. in it yeah it is an ingenious system invented at, at the time out of the Enlightenment. I mean, brilliant people came up with this system, and they yeah. fought over it like crazy to try to make, you know, how is it going to work? How, how is this going to happen? But uh, power corrupts. Absolute yeah. power corrupts. Absolutely. And yeah. <laughs> it's hard to be in those positions of so much power and not take advantage of it. I'm looking over my things. You, you know, uh, just to mention... In the, tri- in the trial of the Chicago 7, it's hard to see that as the hero's journey, as more as and, and unless you take a look at William Kunstler, the, the attorney, as kind yeah. of the hero of the movie. And God, what a great performance. <laughs> yeah, he's me. fantastic. Just amazing performance. Yeah. But it. it it depends on what the theme is. If you take a look at Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, it basically says ideas are important. Ideas are what make right. a country great. Ideas are what make people fall in love. Ideas are worth fighting and dying for. Yep. And when we betray our ideals, we lose ourself. Yep. Very much like Claude Rains at the end. He's trying to yep. kill himself. Yeah. Because he Which... has betrayed, he has lost himself for power. 
Yeah, another dark thing for a, a 39 movie, <laughs> you know? And it's just, yeah, you hear that gunshot and you don't really know what's happening. And then, yeah, you realize, yeah, wow, he was trying to kill himself because he just can't take it. You know, he can't take the the loss of the power he has, but he also can't take, you know, the uh, what might be his son <laughs> going down the way he is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's extremely, extremely powerful. And uh, the, the lawyer, Mark Rylance, that's the... That's the the actor, the oh, lawyer, so and uh, yeah, he's fantastic. And, <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and 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 you know, in in Chicago Seven, you know, the irony. A lot of times, what people do nowadays, and they do it in Chicago Seven, is the crawl at the end. You know what happened to everybody. You, yeah. You, you know where everybody went. What ha- what happened? You know what happened at the trial. What happened to Abby Hoffman? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know what what and you see and then you go oh and that helps you put it into context a little more. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and yeah, actually at the time of this recording, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, Cohen actually. Uh, was nominated for best supporting actor for for this movie, which I was I was surprised. Uh, I mean, I have no problem with the, him or it, but uh, I, I I personally probably would have went Mark Rylance, but uh, but hey, more power more power to him. Um, yeah, well, it's I mean, any one of those performances yeah. are yeah. are wonderful, and I think that's one of you, you know. It's a it, Sasha Baron Cohen. It's a performance that has to carry a lot of humor, but at the same time, I thought one of his most moving moments in that movie when he's on trial. Yep, and it's perfectly yep. serious, and I found it very moving. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. really terrific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I might play a clip of that here, um, but uh, but uh, yeah, no. Powerful stuff. Power. Uh, yeah, these movies make you think. Yeah, no. These movies are uh, eighty years apart. Uh, Sixty, seventy. I don't know. My ma- some, a lot of years apart, and uh, they they both make you think, and they're both relevant. And it's just yeah, it's insane how how filmmakers are still still doing this. You know, yeah, you bet. Still, <laughs> absolutely. What's uh, what? Uh, do you have anything you're working on currently, or that's coming out? Uh, I'm working on my second Moderna vaccine shot. Yeah. I, oh, I, okay. I have to get ready for this. Uh, my yeah. wife and I went to Dodger Stadium and got the first one, nice. and it was a portrait of terror. Uh, you, you know, I had a I had a two ten appointment. She had two fifteen. We got an email in the morning saying, "Do not come early because we've organized this." And if, so I'm a prudent guy. You know, ah. I I listen to emails too. So I showed up at one thirty for my ah. two fifteen, two ten, two fifteen, forty minutes. I figure, yeah, I can handle that. I end up in a line of cars moving two miles an hour toward Dodger Stadium to get their vaccine. It yeah. took it took four hours wow. to go from the line of cars to Dodger Stadium. And then once I was inside Dodger Stadium, it took two hours going in and out of the cones until oh finally goodness. I got my 210 shot at 620 in the evening. Now, the added benefit is that you're in a moving car and we did not have adult diapers. You can't run out of the car, right? Yeah. The car's moving. We're moving. You know, I was so- going to ask, did you have a lot to drink beforehand? I hope not. No, my <laughs> wife and I, fortunately, <laughs> were very prudent before we left. But I got to tell you, there was, there was some serious running 
to various facilities when we got yeah, home. But I'm now sure. <laughs> I got the email. It's time to go to Dodger Stadium for your second Moderna shot. Oh. So let me tell you, adult diapers, we're going to bring thermoses, you know, to, you know. Hey, you, you know. know, wash tubs, kettles, whatever we need to, <laughs> to get through that do line of cars. Do. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm working. But, but, you know, I think I'm still doing some Goldbergs upcoming. Cool. Cool. And I'm writing some new stories for the Tobolowski Files podcast. So I. How I, long does it take you to write a story? Sometimes. Podcast? Sometimes it, I could write it in a day. Wow. Uh, it, it comes very fast. And sometimes. You know, I'll begin writing notes or write parts of a story, and then I'll have a dream about it, and I'll go like, oh, wait a minute. What I'm really telling is a different story. Yeah. And then I go, that's a wonderful thing about writing, is you yeah. can like go, you know, this thing that I'm thinking is act one, I think it's really act three. Yeah. And I think my <laughs> real act one is this. Yeah. <laughs> and then it changes what the whole story yeah. is. So I, I love that about writing. So I'm, I'm having I, a good time doing that. Uh, but man, this has been a blast. I'm so glad uh, you came up with uh, this movie to talk about and the correlation with uh, a current movie. So it's topical. You know, I appreciate that. I always like being topical topical on the show along with talking with uh classics and uh yeah it's been an absolute pleasure my man yeah i love i love talking movies and i especially love the invitation to talk about a classic film yeah because a lot of times people haven't seen them and they are worth seeing well hey here's uh, goes to washington yeah confession time this was my first watch of mr smith goes to washington so there you, you go. go. <laughs> it happens. And uh, I'm absolutely, I was thrilled that you suggested it. And uh, yeah, that's why I was leaning towards classic because, you know, there's some blind spots in my movie, uh, movie watching career, <laughs> movie watching hobby, you know, yeah. I think with everyone. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I was able to uh, finally get this one under my belt. Yeah, so. that's right. Uh, <laughs> Next, right, you have to but, watch uh, Mr. Deeds. Yes, I do need to watch that. I, the Adam Sandler one, right? Need no. <laughs> of course, the cat poke for Montana <laughs> will do. But uh, but yeah, again, it's been absolutely awesome. I appreciate you coming on. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, I might reach out to you again someday. So. You got it. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. It's been great talking with you. Good talking to you too. Another episode in the books. Stephen was great. Awesome talking with Ned Ryerson. As I told him, I've been quoting him since I was a kid. It was a lot of fun. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at BlockbusterCast. On Instagram, at Blockbuster Mentality. That's where you get all the new shows, when they'll be released and all that. And yeah, that's it. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. If you haven't seen it, check it out. And uh, you will not be disappointed, I do not think. All right, folks. Well, that is it for me. For Steven, I'm Ben. And as always, grab some popcorn, grab some snacks. We'll catch you guys at the movies. Movies.